Um, some of that, what we shared um, this weekend with the couples, and this morning, I, I want to share about marriage covenant. When we talk about marriage and um, we reflect on it, and especially how to grow in our marriages, for some to prepare for marriage and for others to grow in marriage, um, it's, it's so um, reassuring that we can go to the one who purposed marriage and, and to ask him for his ways and thoughts concerning marriage. And, and to align ourselves with the one who, who purposed and designed. You know, often when, when I look at creation um, and, and I see the wonders of the galaxies and the complexities and the intricacies. I mean, if we want to look at the sun and, and how it burns and yet continues to burn. It, it's a mystery. Um, if one look at the balance that keeps life um, possible on the earth, all the various factors, um, it, is, it is literally mind-boggling. And, and, and we struggle to understand how these things fit together and work together. And yet for God, this is not a mystery. I mean, God spoke and the sun was there. And there are greater suns than our sun. Our sun is like so small in comparison to other suns and the galaxy out there. And the one that created all this by His Word is the same one that, that established marriage. And, and God's ways and thoughts are completely different to ours. He is immensely more wise and powerful that we can ever think or imagine. And, and so we have this privilege when we talk about marriage also to go to the same God who created the universe as the one who instituted marriage. And in his wisdom, he has established certain truths that leads to life, that sustains life. And so with great confidence, we, we, we can turn to him and, and listen to him. One thing about Christianity is the fact that we stand in a covenant relationship with God. It's one of the central concepts and, and um, confidence that we have in this life. Is, is that the relationship that we have with God is not just a friendship, but it's a covenant. We stand in covenant with God as Christians through Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful, life-giving, life-giving and fulfilling relationship that humans can have. It's a covenant relationship with God. Creation declares the existence of God, but the Word of God declares who He is, His ways, His thoughts, and His will for us. And the Bible introduces us to the character and the knowledge of God. And in the Word of God, we are um, also introduced to this concept of covenant as a way God relates to humanity. As a matter of fact, the Bible is divided into two covenants. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And there are many covenants within the Bible as part of the narrative of who God is and His relationship with man. And, and we see the first covenant in creation. And then we see it at Noah, and with Abram, and Moses, and Israel, and David, and ultimately through Jesus Christ. We stand in a covenant with God. 
And today we stand in that covenant through Jesus Christ. And whenever we partake of communion, we are reminded of this covenant relationship that we have through Jesus with God. So what is a covenant? A covenant is not just a contract. It is a, it is a, a deep bond in relationship with another. A contract is, is an agreement which has a limited lifespan. It's, it's like having a contract with a builder. And there are certain terms and conditions for, for, for this contract. Um, you do this and I will do that. And once you finish doing this, I will do this. And then our relationship is also finished. It's a limited lifespan. It has a beginning and an end, and, and there are terms and conditions and expectations that if you do this, then I will do that. And, and, but a covenant is not like that. A covenant is a vow made that binds us in a relationship that has no end. It doesn't have an excess clause. The focus is a love, a lifelong relationship and commitment. And it carries with it a blessing if kept and a curse if broken. I am so grateful God did not sign a contract with me. Because I have broken the terms of it many times. But because it's a covenant, every time I repent, God forgives. And I stand in a relationship with a perfect God. Um, I am imperfect. And in relation to God, even more so. And and. God chose to make a covenant with the imperfect. Because if it was a contract, it wouldn't last. And so, so one of the powerful assurances that we have as Christians is that we stand in a covenant with God. Because God is committed to us in a covenant, He forgives us. When we fail. But why is marriage a covenant? Well, firstly, because marriage is a covenant because it's a vow that we make before God. But Christian marriage is also a vow made with God. The whole concept of the difference between a secular marriage and a Christian marriage is that in a Christian marriage... There are three parties involved. In a secular marriage, there's only two. But in a Christian marriage, I'm, I'm making a vow before God and with God that I will love my spouse the way he loves me. That's Christian marriage. It's a covenant, secondly, because it is meant to reflect a relationship with God. And so in a Christian marriage, the central person and focus of marriage is not my spouse or myself. It's actually God. 
God is the center of my marriage. And, and, and I'm making a vow with God before God to love the other the way he loves me. And, 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 and God becomes the central focus of my marriage. The reason I love my wife at the cost of myself is because that is the way God loves me. And then the third reason is because marriage is meant to reflect the great mystery and purpose of mankind. And therefore it is sacred. Because it has a purpose beyond the relationship with my spouse. It, it is meant to be a reflection. And it's so powerful if, if, if one looks at where marriage comes from. It's, it's right in the beginning, at the beginning of creation when God created man. In the image and likeness of man, he created the male and female equal in value. And, and yet God purposely created the male first, Adam. He created Adam first. He gave him authority. He gave him dominion and purpose. And, and, and he gave him work. And in that process, God also gave him the opportunity to name all the animals and to find for himself a helper. But he could not find. He couldn't find a helper in all of creation. And so God said, it is not good for you to be alone. So he made Adam sleep. And out of Adam, out of the one, he made a second. And he called her Eve. And she was different. She was different to anything in creation. And she was different to man. And Adam said, wow. <laughs> this is flesh of my flesh and bones of my bone. This, this is amazing. And, and part of this mystery is God took out of the one. He made two for the purpose of the two to become one again in marriage. And so therefore, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's part of the mystery of the purpose of humanity. Christian marriage is a covenant before God between a man and a woman to become one. An oath is made before God, but what is so powerful is that the consummation of marriage is through this act of sex. It's through the act of sex that marriage is consummated and the mystery of the two becoming one spiritually is manifested, fulfilled through a very powerful act of intimacy. That is why sex is unlawful outside of marriage. Because sex is the consummation of the marriage. It is the two becoming one before God. It is a sacred sign and a consummation of the covenant. And even in the biblical times in the Old Testament, the tradition in the Jewish festival was on the day of the marriage, the couple will go into a tent and they will consummate marriage 
and 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 the parents of the of the of the bride will present the bedsheet in front of the congregation the guests to point to the blood the breaking of virginity that seals the covenant the consummation and then the festival really begins and even today in our law it is so interesting when i had to write my marriage license exam even to this very day if i marry someone and they do not consummate the marriage if they wait two weeks three weeks three months if sex did not happen after the ceremony any one of the parties can nullify the wedding legally because it wasn't consummated so even the law today the secular law still recognized that marriage needs to be consummated to sex and therefore sex outside of marriage god says is unlawful it's sin because its purpose is reserved for a covenant with another man or woman 1 corinthians 6 is the following now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body and god both raised up the lord and will also raise up us by the power by his power do you not know that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take the member of christ and make it the member of an harlot a prostitute certainly not or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the two he says shall become one flesh but he who is joined to the lord is one spirit with him flee sexual immorality every sin that a man does is outside of the body but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is the temple of the spirit who is in you whom you have from god and you are not your own for you have been bought at a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's so marriage and sex is part of god's blessing to man in its proper place in the context of marriage it is a joyful expression of a covenant and intimacy it bonds us together emotionally physically and spiritually and celebrates this covenant sex outside of marriage is a rebellion against god's order and authority and therefore sinful sex in marriage however is a blessing it's a reminder of our union and the purpose is to cause pleasure and to reunite spiritually emotionally and physically marriage is purpose to reflect god's love joy grace forgiveness and care for one another and with it comes a great blessing but the greatest mystery and reflection of marriage is the union between christ and the church covenant is not just a contract but a relationship that reflects a greater marriage is a relationship not only between a man and a wife but also with christ a christian marriage is different to a secular marriage in that there's three parties involved it is not just a love relationship between me and my wife it is a relationship between me and christ firstly a relationship between me and god 
And then God says, I want you to love your wife the way I love you. And so Ephesians 5, we know it so well, and I'm going to read from verse 15, says the following. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It speaks of this relationship that is the root of everything that we do. The way we see life the way we relate to the circumstances, the blessings, and how we relate to God with thanksgiving, out of reverence for God. Out of reverence for God, we live in a particular way towards one another. Because God is central in my life, out of reverence for Him, I submit to my spouse. In the context, it is to understand what the will of God is, to giving thanks for God always, for everything, and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is all about a relationship with Jesus. Out of our understanding, thanksgiving, and reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also is Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Out of reverence for Christ, out of your relationship with Him. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, the main relationship in marriage is with Christ. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church and a reflection of my relationship with Him. Marriage also involves the mystery of becoming one flesh between two spouses, but also a reflection of becoming one with Christ, being members of His body and of His flesh and of His bones. That is why marriage is sacred. It is a mystery of the two becoming one flesh. It is something that God does through a covenant at the consummation. 
Therefore, Jesus said in Matthew 19, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And, and so, it is a spiritual reality from the creator of the universe that understands the mystery of it, also created man for the purpose of marriage. Therefore, Christian marriage is entered into through a covenant. And a Christian marriage, divorce is not an option. For a Christian marriage, Divorce is not an option because it's sacred. It is something that God has joined you together with your spouse. And therefore he says divorce is not an option. As a matter of fact, there are many things that God says we are not allowed to do. But God says, I hate, I hate divorce. Because it does not reflect me. It is not the purpose of marriage. And it does not reflect my mercy, my grace, my love, my forgiveness. It is not who I am. And it is not who you are. Even in conflict, God says divorce is not an option. Now, this is profound for Christians. I remember as a young man, 23 years ago, before I got married, I did marriage preparation. And, and Pastor William Corizon, um, when he spoke about marriage as a covenant and, and about divorce not being an option, one of the greatest advice that I've heard, that the only thing that I honestly can still actually remember of that course so long ago, is that he said, because divorce is not an option, you're never even allowed to use the word in a conflict situation. You're never allowed to use the word in your marriage. Because it's not an option. Don't insinuate it. Don't use it. Because it's not an option. And if, and here's the point that I want to make tonight of this morning. If divorce is not an option, why God says it is not an option is because if divorce is not the option in the midst of conflict, the only option is reconciliation. It's powerful. In the midst of conflict, because divorce is not the option, the only option is reconciliation. And that is who God is. He came to the world to reconcile us to himself. We were sinners. We were guilty. God paid the price, made himself nothing, humbled himself so that we can be reconciled. And then he said, I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. And when there's conflict, the only option for you is to reflect me and to reconcile. And therefore, for Christians... Divorce is not an option. If we have this mindset and focus, our only focus when there's conflict is reconciliation. What must I do to help this process to reconcile? And if I can't do that, if I struggle to find in myself the capacity, the emotion, the ability, 
to reconcile. I have to turn to God, who is the center of this marriage. I have to turn to God. And I got to ask Him, Lord, help me to change, to be able to forgive, to be able to change the way I love. Because in conflict in marriage, it's because somebody needs to change the way they love. The way you love is hurting your wife to the point that she is grieved. And so you need to change the way you treat your wife. And, and, and someone needs to forgive. Someone needs to love at the cost of himself like Christ loves us. Someone needs to change to become more like Jesus in loving and somebody needs to change to forgive like Christ forgives us. That's Christian marriage counseling. There's a third element that comes to play, and that is grace. Three elements are needed in any Christian conflict to be resolved. To get to reconciliation, as a matter of fact, in any conflict, whether Christian or not, someone needs to change, love differently, and someone needs to forgive, and then there needs to be grace. Grace from God to change me, and grace from me towards the other, where I am patient for that change. The English word, long-suffering, <laughs> endurance. Towards the other, I extend grace, not just through forgiveness, but time for change. That's the Christian marriage. And it doesn't come from myself. When I come to the end of myself, I turn to the one who is central in the marriage, the purpose of this marriage, God himself. And I ask him, God, come and change me to become more like you so that I can forgive my wife. And when two people love God, more than they love themselves, their marriage will never fail. It cannot fail. If you allow God to change you, and my wife allows God to change her, our marriage will never fail. Because what conflict does, the world says conflict means you're incompatible. Conflict makes us stronger in our marriage. Because conflict leads me to God to change me, to become more like Him. And then I love differently, more like Him. And I become more like Him, and so my love becomes more pure. And when I need to forgive and I come to the end of myself, I go to God and say, God, help me to forgive the way you forgive me. And then he changes me to forgive more and I become more like him. And then we have two people that grow closer to God or are changed by God and they become more like God through conflict. Conflict is normal in marriage. It's normal because you're different. <laughs> you're married to somebody different. And so conflict is normal in marriage. The only marriage that is incompatible is if we choose not to change. 
you make your marriage incompatible, not your spouse. Because they are different to you. God, in his wisdom, made us different. But conflict in Christian marriage makes their relationship stronger because we have to turn to the Lord to ask him to change us. Christianity is about change. If you do not want to change, Christianity is not going to work for you. It's all about change. It's all about surrender. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Make me a saint. <laughs> Help me to overcome my flesh. Help me to change. Help me to become more like Jesus. That's the purpose of Christianity is to become more like Christ. That's why we're called Christians. It's all about change. It's a surrender to be changed. And we change to become more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have limited capacity to change. One thing that you cannot change, you cannot change your spouse. You can only change yourself. And so when I come to the limit of my ability to change myself, I have to go to God. And then through the power of the Spirit, He changes me. You know what's the powerful thing about Christian marriage? Because Christ is the center of my marriage, not myself and not my wife. But God is the center of my marriage. That is the first relationship. And so I love because of his love. I love differently. And as I grow in my relationship with him, it becomes evident that it is not about me, but about the other. Because that's the way he loves. And then my focus is no longer myself, but the other. Because of the one I love. And then it doesn't matter anymore what my wife does or doesn't do. My love is no longer determined by what my wife does or doesn't do. Because my love for God is stronger. And he tells me to love my wife the way he loves the church. And he gave himself for her. And I'm unwilling to do that. And I say, yes, Lord, help me to do that. I don't know how. But I love you. And I experience that love. This is the thing. I am the imperfect one in a relationship with the perfect. I am the imperfect one. In a relation to God, I am utterly imperfect. And God chooses to love me despite my imperfection. He says, I'm committed to you even though you're imperfect. And I receive from God love, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. And then he tells me, my son... Now I want you to extend the same to your wife, who is also imperfect, like you. If the perfect can have love and forgiveness and grace towards the imperfect, how much more can the imperfect towards another imperfect? That's Christian marriage. That's why if God is more important in my life than myself, my marriage will never fail. If two people, let me clarify that. If two people love God more than they love themselves, their marriage will never fail. It is one, it is when one love God less than they love themselves. In a Christian marriage that it fails. 
It's the saddest thing to see. Look, I deal with unbelievers, nominal Christians. It's very sad to see marriages fail. But Christian marriages, it breaks my heart. Jesus says, divorce is not an option except for sexual immorality. Sex consummates marriage. Unlawful sex breaks marriage. Anything in between, between Christians, the only option is reconciliation. Forgiveness, change, and grace. And God himself is the source of that change, of that forgiveness and that grace. And that source cannot be exhausted. <laughs> it is complete and perfect. Apart from that, sexual immorality, we have to change. There are three elements needed, love, forgiveness, and grace. Someone needs to love differently. Someone needs to forgive. And we need God's grace to change. And we need to give grace towards one another. And the amazing thing is, if you do that, your marriage will not fail. The only thing that will, do, will happen is you will change to become more like Christ. And your love for each other will become more pure, more godly, and more lasting. So through conflict, we actually become stronger as we allow God to change us. So marriage is sacred, holy, and blessed. Christian divorce for unlawful reason. Why it's so heartbreaking to see is because the one who chooses to divorce is not just forsaking one party. It's not just one, it's two. Someone decides not to forgive. Two parties will say, please forgive. And one party says, no, I will not. I, I had enough. When two Christians do that, it is so, so sad. It's one of the most difficult things to deal with. When Christians choose to pursue divorce... You know what is the fruit when the choice is made? It is bitterness. It is unforgiveness. And the focus becomes self. And the justifying of why I'm turning away from my spouse. And why I'm disobeying what the Lord says. And then often lies creep in and. One party tries to break down the other one. And you know the fruit of bitterness, unforgiveness, and self, who does that reflect? And those who suffer most 
is the innocent. It's the children. That is why God hates divorce. But you know, if Christians, in the midst of their conflict and their hurt, even when they come to the end of the sign, to themselves, if they choose reconciliation as the only option, you know what is the fruit of that? It's humility in approaching God and asking Him to do what they cannot do. And you see the fruit is forgiveness, humility, change, grace, and love. And you know what you see? You see the gospel play out in a very practical way. I see myself being forgiven. I see myself being changed. I see myself being restored and redeemed. Because that is the gospel. If you're here today and you have been divorced, there's good news. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Change the way you think. Confess your sins and God will forgive you. That's a sermon for another time. But that's the good news. Even if you have turned away, there is forgiveness through repentance. The most important relationship in my marriage is my relationship with God. And out of this relationship, I learn and I receive love, forgiveness, and grace. And this overflows towards my wife. And God changes me. And I receive grace and forgiveness and I give towards my spouse as I have abundantly received. And my relationship with my spouse becomes a re reflection of my relationship with God. And He lives in me and through the Holy Spirit He helps me to change me from the inside out. And that is why if two people love God more than they love themselves, their marriage will never fail. It will only grow stronger for life. And God's blessing rests on marriage. God's blessing rests on marriage. And their marriage will become worship unto God. As they love each other as unto God and from a place of thanksgiving and reverence for God. Continue to love one another. So whether you are single or married, let us continue to love and pursue God first. Understanding the will of God and what pleases Him. Because even though His ways and thoughts are different to ours, it leads to life. And life in abundance. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time in your marriage and you find yourself at the end of yourself, turn to God. Turn to God. Ask Him to help you to change. Keep reconciliation as the only option. And do everything in your power to facilitate that. And God will bless you as you do that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. God, thank you that even though your thoughts and ways are so different to ours, and your wisdom so much greater, thank you that we can ask you, and you reveal to us your will and your ways through your word, Lord. You reveal to us yourself. Thank you, God, that we may have access to you and call upon you. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to change us, to enable us to do your ways, to think your thoughts, and to live your life. The life that you have purposed for us that will reflect you and draw others to you. Lord, help us in our marriage to make you the center. Help us to make you the center of our lives. Help us to follow your example. If even we suffer for doing so. You set us an example for the joy set before you. You despise the shame and the cross. Help us to follow you, Lord. Thank you that we can come to you in our weakness, in our sorrow, in our hurt, in our betrayal. We can come to you knowing that you understand. You've been through it yourself. You know what betrayal is like. You know what it means to be hurt, to be abused, to be rejected, to be ridiculed. You've been through it all. And so we can come to one who understands, who's been through it himself, and ask him for grace. Lord, I want to ask for grace for each and every marriage here. I want to ask for grace, God. Grace to change. Grace to become more like you. Help us husbands to love our wives the way you love the church. To nourish, to cherish, even at the cost of ourselves. So that our wives may flourish. Help our wives, Lord, to honor, respect, and support. The way the church does Christ. Help us, Lord, to change, to become more like you. Thank you, God, that as you change us, your change makes our marriages stronger. It not just makes it stronger, it makes it beautiful. It makes it last. brings your change in me brings the best out of me because it's no longer me it's you and so Lord we pray for this and while your eyes are closed if, if you're here this morning and you need God's help 
want to give you an opportunity just to reflect on God's word this morning and, and just speak to him. Just in your own words, maybe your marriage is in a good place. Maybe it's in a difficult place. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're divorced. Why don't you just bring your heart before the Lord and ask him for his grace? Just in your own words. Just speak to him. Thank you, God, that we know that you are a humble God. All-powerful, almighty, a consuming fire of pure holiness. But you are humble. You are drawn to the weak, the meek, and the humble. Because you are a compassionate God, merciful loving, caring. Thank you, God, whenever we turn to you in humility and weakness, you're not only here, but you are drawn to us. Your heart is to always comfort when we call out on you. Humility, you are there. Thank you, God. In the times that we are selfish and proud, you do not leave us. But you correct and discipline us. As a father who loves his children. So that we will turn to your ways. Obey your word. So that we may reap where it leads, which is eternal life. Life in abundance. And so, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. And while we are praying, if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to give your life to God, to surrender your life, to give Him all, and make Him the center of your life. Not just as your Savior, but your Lord, your King. And follow Him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. By just simply extending your arm, your hand to God and say, God, here I am. I want to give you my life. I want to make you my Lord and Savior. If that is you, would you just raise your hand? Say, Lord, here I am. I want to give you my life. And I want to follow you. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? Father, I want to pray for this young man. He wants to give his life to you.
He has nothing to gain in this world for doing so. But He has you, which is the most precious gift, treasure, reality, and purpose in this life. And in you, He will find peace, joy, meaning, purpose. Thank you, God, that you see His heart. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and fill him with the knowing of your presence, that he belongs to you and that all his sin is taken away from him. He is washed clean because of you and your love for him. I pray, God, that he will always follow you, remain close to you, search your word for your will and your thoughts, and as he discover it, follow it, because it will lead him to life joy and peace forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. May God bless you. If you